Welcome, Microbigal Nation, to another episode of The Micro Moment, that show that takes you down to the microscopic level to view the world just a little bit differently. I'm your host, Tess, and today we'll be talking to the lovely Tori Holden about her entrepreneurial journey and her company, Full Circle Microbe. So do you have a great idea that could be the start of an epic business? Well, listen up, because Tori gives us some excellent advice for aspiring entrepreneurs and some unexpected ways to improve your networking skills. So my name is Victoria Holden, mostly go by Tori. I am the co-founder and now chief scientific officer of our company, Full Circle Microbes. And our company is really interested in sustainability, environmental justice, and recycling things like hard to degrade matter back into something that can be useful for the world. It's a beautiful message and I fully support using microbes for sustainability. I think there's so much potential there and we'll talk about that in a little bit because I do want to get into your company and your entrepreneurship journey. But first I want to know, do you have a favorite microbe inspired drink or food? I had to think about this one a lot because I think a lot of microbiologists say beer, but (laughs) it is a common answer. Yeah, and most brew, but for me, I think it's champagne. I got to go to Paris last, well, two years ago now, and learned a lot about the the champagne making process and was really interested in the role of microbes in that. So I, I think it's champagne. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think we've had anyone say champagne yet. So did you get, you got champagne from actual champagne, like the real stuff? Yeah, we went to the region and went on a tour and it was, it was really cool. Is it a lot different from what we can get in the States? It's a lot cheaper. It's a lot cheaper. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. But it doesn't taste that different? You think it tastes sort of the same? No, I think it's the same that they just export it to the U.S. And so it costs a lot and there are a lot more champagne houses or, or also in the champagne region, there are co-ops for champagne production. So just individual farms will give some of their grapes to the co-op and that's their fee for using the equipment, which I think is such, such a cool system. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Uh, I haven't been over there yet, but I hope, I hope one day to get over there. Most of my research is in grapevines, but in California, So I think it would be cool to go over uh, and I have some collaborators in France that do some wine work. And so I think it'd be fun to go over there at some point. Yeah, you definitely should. (laughs) It sounds perfect. (laughs) It's on the list. Yeah. One day. Uh, Do you have a favorite, favorite microbe in general or a microbial function? I'm really partial to Klebsiella pneumoniae. That is what I did my thesis work on. That's a really mucoisy one, right? Looks like snot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it can cause a lot of really bad disease. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it's a really cool microbe to study because it's uh, really relevant to human health. And it's also really relatively easy to work yeah. with. Like anything you can do, an E. coli, you can basically do with Klebsiella. So if I were to if I were to stay in academia, I probably would have tried to work on Klebsiella. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting organism. I always love playing with it because it's so sticky. Like it just, it's like, I don't know, like um, flubber almost. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What do you consider your micro moment? What is the spark that started you in microbiology? I had to think about this one a lot because I kind of came to microbiology like a little backwards. I was actually really interested in immunology at first. Mm-hmm. And so I I really became interested in microbiology once I started to learn about the interactions between host and pathogen. I, I love to study both and how they interact with each other. So learning about, for instance, iron acquisition and how complex it is, where the body tries so hard to hold on to the iron and the bacteria develop all of these siderophores to try to steal it back. And then the body develops lipocalin 2 to hide the siderophores and then the bacteria develop new siderophores. And, and so I think learning how much evolution and adaptation and interaction back and forth between humans and, and other hosts and bacteria was really what started to interest me and in more of the microbiology side of that equation. Yeah. So, so what was the moment that you kind of switched from immunology or thinking about microbiology in the immunological human sense to now being in sustainable agriculture? Um, that was just kind of like a, a lucky switch. I think when you find the right person at the right time and when I was thinking about if that was something I could really be interested in, even though I wouldn't be studying the host pathogen interactions, I would still be studying interactions of like the earth with microbes and, and like the plants and the defense mechanisms that they kind of create for themselves to prevent like microbial destruction really. And so it was, you know, kind of a subtle reframing, but for me, it made a really big difference. Mm-hmm. And did you find that you were like behind in the fact that you didn't have that plant background or did everything kind of shift over very easily? Yeah, I think a little bit behind. Of course, the scientific process and experimental planning that transfers really well to lots of different scientific fields, but I have had to learn a lot about plants pretty rapidly. Yeah. But they're pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I love about microbiology is like the host can be anything, but sort of the same principles apply and the same experimental designs are going to be, are going to follow through. You just have to know a little bit about the host and understand what the problem is. And then you're kind of good to go. Yeah. And, and who to ask for help whenever you need it, because you can't know everything. <laughs> right, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about full circle microbes in a little more detail. What is the story behind full circle microbes? How did it get started and, and where do you see the company going? It's a fairly new company, right? Yeah, we incorporated in October of 2019, but full circle microbes has started out much earlier than that with my co-founder, Charles Smith. He worked in some startups in New York City and was always really interested in entrepreneurship. So while he was working in other startups, he was always thinking about what he could do to build a company that could have really positive impacts on the world. 
And so I think he took steps to start the company in, I think, 2017 or 2018. And at first, it was a company that was focused on, like, compost. Here in Vermont, we have a law that food waste cannot be thrown into landfills. It has to be composted. Oh, really? Yeah, it's super cool. And wow, I think should be everywhere. Yeah. But it seemed like a great opportunity to build into that side of the market. Unfortunately, compost companies don't have a lot of extra money to spend on things, even if they're really helpful and make the output better. Uh, They just don't have a lot of profits. And so uh, Charles pivoted a bit and started realizing that the hemp and cannabis industry was really taking off. And that hemp was really hard to compost because of this recalcitrant part of it called lignin. And so he thought maybe this is a place where microbes could be really helpful. So creating a a lignin-degrading microbial inoculant that can really help degrade hemp is our first and main product, but we really hope to be impactful in a lot of different plants for a lot of farmers. My co-founder Charles jokes that we want to be on the moon someday. (laughs) I don't know how we're going to do that, but I appreciate his vision. So (laughs) that'd be pretty cool. Right. I'm not sure what it would be, but maybe maybe (laughs) some like moon dust. I don't don't know. So I I can't remember if you said it, but does Charles have a a science background as well? Or does he come from more of a business side? He's a business guy. So we're, we're a good team. He has some business knowledge and I have science knowledge, but I don't want to reduce him to just being a business guy. He's really intelligent and and grasps the scientific concepts really well. So he's very helpful in, in that sense as well. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, I mean, it's so important to have people from different perspectives coming in with any project really. Yeah. And having the, the business sector is so important when you're doing anything like this. Like I wish I had a business person on a on my team. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a lot of laws and they're kind of hard to follow. Yeah. (laughs) So it's nice to have someone who knows a little bit more about it. Right. Not to mention like, there's just like, there's such a different mindset between being a scientist and academia and then being a business person and be like, okay, I need to create a product and I need to understand people's, what are people's issues? Not just like, I like to study this microbe because that's interesting. Yeah. It's a really different way to think about science, uh, which is what I've learned over time. There's something in business called the minimally viable product or an MVP. And that really is what is the least amount of product thing that I can sell. And so that's a really different concept from a scientist who is like, all right, I'm going to do this experiment four times with this many replicates. And that's panel A, a figure one in my 10 figure paper. (laughs) Right. That's going to take six years to publish and like no one's ever going to look at it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I love the name Full Circle Microbes. Is there a story behind the company name? Sort of. Uh, Naming a company is actually really hard. I hadn't ever thought about it before. And at first, the company was called Full Circle Environmental because we weren't sure exactly 
what we were going to be focusing on. But as microbes became a more important part of our product line and vision for the company, it, it seemed to be a really natural fit in our name. And of course, Full Circle is part of it because we love the idea of bringing plant waste full circle. Like plant waste has so many nutrients left in it. And by plant waste, I mean the parts of the plant that remains after harvest, which can be up to 90% of the plant for some plants. And so bringing that, you know, full circle and incorporating it back into the farmer's set of tools and nutrients is um, really important. And so that's why it's part of our name. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you said it was it was challenging to come up with the name, what was the challenging portion of that? Was it like the laws or just kind of imagining what would be a good name that would stick with people or? Yeah, I think it's imagining what's going to be a good name. And then something that business side of people think about is, you know, of course, a name that other companies don't have or a name that isn't sending any sort of wrong message. You you want to communicate so much with your name and you also want it to be something that is searchable online or easy to find on social media. And so there there's just more that goes into it than I ever would have thought about. And plus, I mean, you can change your name, but once you start to build customer relationships, it gets more complicated. So you kind of want to kind of want to get it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Got to get it right the first time. Yeah. I can imagine like changing a name would be pretty difficult after you get an audience, once you get a, um, yeah, a community built around it. And so I, I think we've touched upon this a little bit, but what is the mission of full circle microbes? Our official mission statement is that we transform organic waste that harms our planet into sustainable fertilizer that helps it. But as we're building some new visions for products that can help farmers with more than just organic waste, I think we'll have to change that pretty soon now that I'm thinking about it. It's good to grow, right? (laughs) Exactly. So are you guys just in Vermont right now or are you expanding to the greater New England area or do you ship them worldwide? Yeah, we have kind of a, a weird area that we're working in. So our scientific team is based in Vermont. Our sales team is actually based in Arizona. Oh, wow. (laughs) Arizona has a really active hemp and cannabis industry, Uh but we also are talking to potential customers in California, Oklahoma, Massachusetts, New York. We're just trying to get our name out there as much as possible and make as many connections as we can. So when we have customers or trial partners in those other states, we ship the microbes to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm I'm currently writing a review right now. So this is sort of a personal question, but the review is all about how Mm -hmm. um, microbes from the environment or microbes from our agricultural system kind of impact us as people, our own microbiomes. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think the, there is a relation between agricultural microbiomes and gut microbiomes? Yeah, I, I mean, from a from a food sense, I feel like there must be, right? There's so many microbes in and around our food. I know there's heavy use of pesticides and herbicides at non-organic farms. And I think even some organic farms, certain ones are acceptable. So 
there has to be some sort of interaction there. And I would be really curious as to how our food supply systems impact our microbiomes over time, you know, thinking 50 years ago versus now, or even, even longer when people would farm in their, on their land and then eat that food versus now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such an interesting question that I think like people are starting to put together or starting to think about, about how, but there's so many factors, right. That are limiting our ability to actually say how it definitely impacts. Cause we can say like, there's been agricultural shifts from people growing their own food on their own farms and being out in those farms and just playing like being in microbe environments more. Whereas like now we live in such built systems and, and houses that we try to keep as sterile as possible. And that's also creating challenges for our gut microbiome. So, right. It goes all the way back to the hygiene hypothesis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I love looking at things very circularly and, and how does it all impact, but there's definitely no, the, the line is very blurry yeah. and it's very, it's a very wide blurry line, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, microbiomes are relatively new in the grand sense of, of science, right? I remember when I started my PhD, people still thought the lung was sterile and now yeah, it's clearly not. And so it's just yeah. uh, interesting how much microbiome research can change so rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an exciting time to be in microbiology for that reason. Like I think, I mean, every year there's new technologies that are, are pushing forward new ways to think of microbiomes and the host microbe interaction. So it's, um, yeah, it's a super exciting field to be in as I'm sure you, you are well aware. <laughs> yeah. So what exactly is the product? If you were to, to describe what it looks like for us, what is, what does it look like? What it looks like right now is I honestly kind of looks like kombucha. It's really just a mixture of microbes. So it's, it's a pretty uh, dense culture, mixture of cultures uh, in the future. And we're starting to work on this now. We plan to lyophilize the product. That's obviously more stable and far cheaper to ship a powder than a liquid. And so we're hoping to make that shift in the next year or so. So it'll look a little different then. But for now, um, it often is about in a gallon jug and just a dark mixture of microbes. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have this dark mixture of liquid microbes, what is the shelf life of the product like? It's got to be kind of short, right? Yeah, we've tested it out to about a month so far. Mm -hmm. We really recommend that customers use it as soon as they get it, but it can maintain itself in the refrigerator for about a month. Hopefully once it's the powder, we anticipate that it'll be much longer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be exciting when you get that. You'll be, you'll definitely be able to spread a little bit further geographically and be able to ship things more sustainably too, because it'd be less packaging and, and everything. So that sounds good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is actually a really big problem with a lot of the different microbial products on the market right now is that 
uh, a lot of farmers think they're kind of like snake oil and that they don't work because they often sit somewhere in a factory or shipping too long. And by the time they get them, they don't work anymore. So it's something that we're really careful and cautious about. Yeah. So I'm curious, how do you sort of deal with farmers that have that hesitation about using microbial products? When we encounter one who is pretty hesitant about it, um, sometimes we'll offer them a free trial. We can show them our data, though farmers aren't so interested in that. Something that just really helps is building good relationships with them. We work with a couple of different uh, agricultural consultants types of people. So, so farmers or former farmers sometimes who are really well trusted, like especially in Vermont. Um, so if they believe in our product and they go talk to farmers that they know and the farmers trust them then that can build up uh, a bit of a stronger relationship that can be really helpful to us. But, you know, if they don't believe in it, they, they don't believe in it and you can't make them buy it. And that's understandable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, you know, giving people the data and they want to take it, take it. If they don't, then, you know, that's not, don't pressure anybody into anything. Totally. They'll come back to us later when they see their friends, farmers and having a great time with our product. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm kind of curious, what is the process of sort of creating a product of an industry and how does it differ from your experience in academia? Yeah, it's, it is definitely a process. It's hard. And I think the part that is the most different and strange about it is how much other people inform what you do. Because you can have a great idea for a product, but if someone who's supposed to buy it tells you that's not something they need, then there's no real point in making it. So I think one of the longest and hardest processes in making a product is actually developing the specifications and guidelines for what your product is going to be. And you do that by talking to potential customers through customer discovery interviews. So it's a lot of refining, redesigning, editing your your plan of what you're going to do. And then I think once you know what you're going to do, the science is kind of the easy part, though um, it is hard because startups have few resources. So you have to do a lot with a little. Yeah. Can you give us an example of um, some of the ways that you had to innovate science in a startup? Yeah. My favorite one to date was that we were waiting to get a shake incubator. Uh, They're pretty expensive, but you can buy them used. So we were waiting to see a good shake incubator come up on an auction. There are various sites that auction off old lab equipment. And in the meantime, I still needed to do my science. So I tied Tubra to a Vortex Genie with some rope and just let the Vortex Genie shake overnight so that my cultures could could grow. And that worked pretty well. It was probably a a pretty funny innovation (laughs) that we've done. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to be able to think on your toes, I think. But yeah, I'm always surprised too at how expensive like science equipment can be like a shaker. Like that's it. All it does is shake. It's just a motor that goes in a circle and kind of shakes, um, allows your media not to stand still. And they're like, yep, that's, that's, it's a pretty expensive piece of equipment. Yeah. There, they can be like $20,000 brand new, which is a lot of money. Um, in startups, you usually think about the money you have in terms of how many months you can pay for people and things like it's called like runway. And so like $20,000 is a lot of money that would definitely decrease the number of months you can keep your company going. So that's just not really an option. I know that we talked about the product being able to break down hemp, but are there other products that you guys have in the the works or that are already out that are going to do other things for sustainable agriculture? Yeah. So the product that is predominantly being marketed towards hemp farmers, we're also testing it on many other types of crops like wheat. We are about to start a trial with a partner from in Vermont that grows rye. Mm -hmm. We are also testing it on tomatoes and sunflowers and different types of ornamental flowers because lignin, while it is very enriched in hemp, is also present in a lot of plants because it's what protects plants on that outer surface. So we're hopeful and have some preliminary data that this product will work on many different types of plants, but we're also developing some direct application inoculants that can help with things like rooting, germination, plant growth, and pathogen suppression. And so those won't be crop specific at all and should hopefully help farmers get some more value out of their grows. Right. So do you, do you guys worry at all as you kind of grow about the native or or geographical specific microbes in the plants that are already there when you're making these products for inoculation or for germination? Yeah, definitely. Because every territory is so different. So it's something that we have to think about. And it's something that we try to incorporate by testing in different states if we can. But in general, these application inoculants are fairly transient. So We never work with any microbes that are not native to soil. Of course, we don't know sometimes if they're native to that particular soil or another state, but we only use microbes that are native. We only use microbes that are safe. There's a qualification called generally regarded as safe that we make sure all of our microbes are part of. And if we ever see any sort of report about a microbe being involved in any type of infection, we immediately leave it out because human health is incredibly important and environmental health is important. And we don't want to mess things up. Worst case scenario would be 50 years down the line, we find out that adding some sort of microbe was really detrimental. That's something that we are really motivated to avoid. Yeah. Yeah, but it's always, I mean, it's hard to know what we don't know, right? We <laughs> yeah. can only go by what we know now. Definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurship and starting in a startup. So I, I find, I, 
when I learned about Full Circle Microbe and your journey, I was really intrigued by the fact that you kind of transitioned from an academic lifestyle to entrepreneurship. And I feel like it's not often associated or it's not really thought of as a career path for PhDs trained in STEM. So what, what did you find very, the most challenging about that transition? The absolute most challenging part about it is learning to work faster. And this is something that I've had to work through and our other scientists who have come from a more academic background have had to work through as well, because in science, in in academic science, you have this luxury of designing a, a perfect experiment and doing every single test and assay that you think could be useful, but you don't have that luxury in entrepreneurship. If you don't develop your product fast enough, it might not be needed anymore, or someone else might have gotten to market faster and then you don't have a company. So we kind of have this phrase at our company that is kind of a joke, but also kind of completely serious, which we say to each other, which is, faster, worser science, (laughs) which makes it sound like we're doing bad science and we're not. We're just trying to do the science that will give us exactly the answers we want as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. How do you feel entrepreneurship fits into the field of microbiology? Yeah, I think that for the most part, when people think about microbiology and entrepreneurship, a lot of people think about synthetic biology types of things, like manipulating microbes to to do what you want them to do. And that is a really large part of it, but I, I don't think that's it. And I think that microbes are starting to be understood as this incredibly vast resource that can do a lot of things for a lot of different parts of our lives. And so I hope that it will start to be associated with it more because I think it's something that is really accessible for startups to begin doing. It doesn't take a ton of equipment to work on. And I think there could be some really big impacts there. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I always say microbes have a limitless potential to solve humanity's problems. Like we just don't know. It's just, it's a limit, yes. limitless potential right now until we know more. <laughs> I very much agree with that. So what skills do you think you had that really made you a good entrepreneur and made this career choice the right path for you? I think a big one is flexibility and resourcefulness. Like I said, you have to do a lot with a little. So being like very determined to make something work, even if you're not quite sure that you have the supplies you need. It was really helpful. Creativity is important because not only do you need to be creative with your equipment and supplies, but you have to be creative with product ideas or um, ways to complete that work. I think self-motivation and time management is really important, especially at really early startup stages. At the beginning, it was myself and Charles, who's a business person. So he can help me do the science because he doesn't 
he knows more now, but he he's not a scientist. He doesn't know how to do science. So I needed to be able to motivate myself to get that work done and get it done quickly. And then I think another skill that's really important, which is something I'm always working on, is the ability to communicate well and, and network and learn about what people want, how you can support each other. So what is your number one piece of advice for improving your communication or networking? Um, this is maybe a little like offbeat, but something that really helped me was learning to do improv. I have always really liked comedy, but I had the opportunity to join an improv group while I was a postdoc. And what I really learned from that is how to listen to what someone is saying to you and respond to that exact thing that they're saying. That's the whole yes and part of improv. And that is really what small talk is. It's just listening to someone and replying to them. And so that's, that is my opinion on that. It's a little, it's a little left field, I'd say though. I love it though. Like everyone can say like, oh, the number one thing is and rattle off whatever is on a blog post or whatever, but that is a very unique and precise answer. And I think, yeah, that sounds like a a great thing to go do. And it's courageous. Like, I don't think I would be courageous enough to go out and do improv, (laughs) but I can definitely see how that is a useful skill and a useful thing to go do. So like you said, you were interested in comedy and then you started doing improv. Like, was there anything else in between there that kind of got you going in improv or you just kind of saw it one day and you're like, well, maybe I'll try that. I've always loved comedy shows. You know, when I was younger, it was like watching all that or Keenan and Co on Nickelodeon. Um, And then in grad school, a couple of my friends started a sketch comedy group And so I participated in that and really loved it. And improv was just another type of comedy that I thought could be really fun to do. So just something I've always been interested in. And why not try? (laughs) Yeah. So are you still doing improv or or not so much anymore? Well, right when I moved to Burlington, I had tried out for one of the teams at the Vermont Comedy Club and made it, which was really exciting. But then um, that had to stop because of the pandemic. And I just haven't gotten back into it since, which is a bummer because it's just really fun to get to play around and be goofy every week. Yeah, I can definitely see it. So hopefully you get to go go back to doing improv soon. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so too. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like a fun thing to do. So if you could go back, this goes a little bit into what we were saying, but if you could go back to yourself in college, either at the graduate level or undergraduate level, what piece of advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? I think my, so my perspective throughout my education has so far been to just do as much as I can of different things so that I have as many options open as possible. And that's really worked well for me. I know some people like to focus on being really good at one thing, but I've definitely always been more of a a jack of all trades. So I think if I had to go back, I would probably tell myself to try even more things and also just try to 
put myself out there a little bit more. I I'm tend to the introversion side of the spectrum. So working on being open to communicating more with more people, I think is always really helpful and accepting help from others because you can't do everything on your own. Yeah. That's one thing. Like I think our society could benefit from so much is I feel like the way that I was raised was very much, you know, you do it yourself or it's not going to get done kind of mentality and less of, you know, let's go build a community around this problem or let's tap on other people's soul shoulder. Such a hard, hard time with that word, but you know, let's go tap on other people and, and see if they can help. And together we can do something bigger than you could do individually. Mm -hmm. And I also had the sense from my academic background that the more you did by yourself, the better you were, right? The fewer authors on your paper, the more impressive. And I, I really don't believe in that anymore. I think I bought into it for a while, but isn't it better to find more experts and get their help and their input and make something that's better than you could do on your own? I think so. Um, so that's something that I wish I had learned earlier and it's something that I'm still learning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fell into the same trap and like I had um quite a few papers. It was just me and my PI. And then I was like, wait, we could have done so much more or, or really understood this interaction at such a deeper level if we just used or had some help from some other people who are in different fields. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of different pressures that shape that pushes people into that mentality and hopefully we're moving away from that but we'll see <laughs> i hope so <laughs> so i know you talked a little bit about like being very resourceful and having to do all these different jobs while in your startup position can you give us a sense of what your day-to-day -day activities are like yeah i think i'll start off with the cliche of saying that my every day i I'm doing really different things, but if I have to look at a big picture of what I'm doing, at first I did a lot of science. I was the only scientist in the company for over a year. So all of our scientific progress and grant writing was on me, but we now have two scientists and a really, really wonderful undergrad intern. And so I'm in the lab way less and my days are, are pretty different now. There's a lot of meetings with my the business side of the team and potential customers. We have a grant through the National Science Foundation and part of that grant, we have a subaward project with Dr. Deb Nair at the University of Vermont. So I do a lot of communicating with her and the master's student who's working on our project, analyzing data, helping plan experiments, writing grants, project reports, and, and patents, and then trying to do some big picture thinking and planning by mapping out the research activities of our company over a quarter or a year, trying to come up with future product ideas, and, and managing the scientists that I work with. It takes up a lot of time as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you got your hands in a whole bunch of little pots then. Yeah, well, it fits with my my um, interest in being kind of good at a lot of things. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Got to use all those skills all, all over the place. 
Yeah. Having gone through transitioning into entrepreneurship or starting your own company, what advice do you have for people who are currently struggling with trying to start their own companies or, or even just currently struggling with what career path they should go with? Yeah, I think you should talk to people, talk to as many people as you can. If you are, think something might be interested, find someone who does that and talk to them. If you know someone who has started a company and you're having trouble starting your own, see if they're willing to talk to you. I, I bet they will be. I think it's just really important to find a support system and learn from them. One of my friends from graduate school who was in that sketch comedy group with me, his name is Zach Abbott, and he's a microbiologist and a CEO and founder of his company, Zbiotics. And so he has been a really large help for me. You know, he's, his company is further along than ours and has been around for longer. So anytime he can tell me something that he learned the hard way, and can prevent us from going through it is such a gift. And um, I certainly want to pass that knowledge on to other people too. So I think just, just talk to people. Yeah. I think that's some really great advice. And I think, yeah, it kind of strings into everything else that we've been talking about communication and networking and just being able to be open-minded enough to accept help from others. Yeah. And, and humble enough to know when you need to. Yes. Yeah. Which is not something they teach you in academia very well is how to be humble and accept humility. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is something I think everyone could always be better at. Mm-hmm. I have a couple more questions regarding consulting as a career option in entrepreneurship. So where can people find opportunities to enter entrepreneurship or consulting opportunities? I've I've thought about this a lot and talked about it with my husband, who's also an entrepreneur. It's a very, we're a very high risk family, (laughs) I guess. And the, the answer that we came up with that we think is is the best opportunity is by finding accelerators. So accelerators are programs that can help you develop your ideas into real businesses. They sometimes cost a little bit of money. Sometimes they take a little bit of stock in your company and sometimes they're completely free. But on these accelerators websites, they always have lists of other companies that have gone through their program. And so I think that could be a really great way to find companies who are doing things that you're interested in, where you can reach out to them, hear more about what they're doing, see if there's any way you can contribute or possibly be connected to another company that that startup knows that could be a better fit or is interested in consulting help. So I I think that's probably the best way that I, that my husband and I could think of. Mm -hmm. Is your husband also a a scientist or it comes from a different background? He's an engineer. So um, sometimes I would say he's a scientist and sometimes I say he's just an engineer. (laughs) I like that answer. (laughs) Uh, So I think one thing that, that seems important when you're consulting or starting a company is establishing credibility with your community or even at the world at large. So I wanted 
to ask you, what do you think is a good way to start establishing that credibility? Yeah, this is a really good question. I think social media can help. Uh, A lot of people have these really wonderful, like science-focused Twitters that that can go a long way to building credibility. Probably how you present yourself on your LinkedIn. I think networking is really important, but at the end of the day, I think it comes down to just trust that you build over time and kind of a word of mouth network. So when you are first talking with a startup that is interested in in possible consulting work, it's probably going to take a little bit of time for them to trust you because often they may not be scientists. And so it just takes a little bit to, to build in that faith. And then once you have your first customers, then word of mouth really helps a lot and communicating to other startups, oh, this person was really helpful to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was the most surprising thing to you about being part of a startup? I think the most surprising thing to me was just how much I liked it. It's a good thing to be surprised about. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, I think I thought I was really happy in academia and I didn't know how much I could actually enjoy my work. And I was really surprised by by that once I joined the startup. I love getting to do science that I think is really important and will make a pretty immediate impact on the world. I love being able to build a company that has the values that I want to exist in the world from a company. I really like being able to set the culture of caring personally, but being candid with my teammates on what is going on in work. And so I think there are a lot of parts of startups that I wasn't thinking about whenever I joined it that are incredible and fulfilling opportunities. Yeah. So, so thinking about that a little bit more, I think there are a lot of myths that we talk about with startups. There are a lot of misconceptions that people have about startups. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to bust any of these myths or any of these things that like really just make you upset when people are like, oh, you're part of a startup. So, so-and-so happens. Yeah. I get really upset because I think like the Silicon Valley, like tech startups have given startups a really bad rep. If you like read stories online about the the terrible culture and the, and the like sexism and racism that can exist. And I think that's not necessarily a function of startups as it just is of bad leadership. And so not all startups look like that. And one of the great benefits of having a startup is that you can decide what your company looks like. So I think that's really a big, a big myth that gets under my skin. Yeah, I can see that uh, being really frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's all the questions that I have. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? Yeah, I mean, check out our website, fullcirclemicrobes.com. We're trying to have more of a social media presence. So give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter if you're interested. 
And if anyone has any thoughts or interest in startups, I would really encourage them to talk to someone about it or even find me on social media or LinkedIn and, and, and let's hear it. So (laughs) it's fun and you can do it too. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on our show, Tori. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was really great. You had wonderful questions. They've been really fun to answer. Thank you. Well, Microbial Nation, that's the end of our show. Wasn't Tori wonderful? So I want to thank Tori so much for being on our show. It really was a pleasure. You can find her at Full Circle Microbes or on LinkedIn. And as always, you can find us at microbigals.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider supporting us by donating to our Ko-fi page so we can keep bringing you interviews like this. Do you have another microbial career you'd like us to highlight? Let us know by sending us an email at microbigals at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S at gmail.com. Until next time, bye!